got it. Radio, the station that's more than music, women of the war. Hi, my girls. I missed y'all. We've been gone almost all summer due to unforeseen circumstances. My health. Sorry about that. But I'm much better now. <laughs> but we're back. And I was show, hey, KP2 Rice. How you doing, girl? I am great today. So excited about our guests coming up. <laughs> And Miss Jeannie, how are you, our activist? Hi, how's everyone doing? I had some health issues myself, and we're all recuperating, right? It's like, praise the Lord, we're all here today. So I'm super excited about our guest um, speaker today as well. Amen. Okay. Amen. And Miss Indira, our social media director, how are you today? I'm good. Hang it in there. Guys, it has been ooh, a long summer. You know, we all still battling with the COVID and fighting with the jail. So we can try to like touch our loved ones and hug and kiss them. We still can't do it, you know. So it's like hard because they're not allowing us to do it. Um, some, I mean, uh, I know at Sing Sing in particular, um, me and Jeannie and, and Dara, our loved ones are at um, Sing Sing and um, y'all know one of the things that they're doing is they're implementing the um, family rehabilitation, the trailer visits. They're coming back um, um, September 8th. And one of the things that we saw in the directives were that everybody had to be COVID, had to have the COVID shot. So I'm figuring because September 8th, they're bringing back the trailer. Hope, it can change. Huh? It can change. Yeah, it can change. Because of the numbers going up, so they might not. But hopefully, if they let it go, 
we can probably try to kiss our husbands because if they getting busy in the trailers, I'm kissing my husband. <laughs> Shoot, I'm <laughs> like, I, I ain't kissing for almost two years now. So that's hard. Exactly. Like, that crazy. We got like a hug box. Like you go in a hug box and you hug them and then you, and, the, and when we, let me tell you, Jeannie is so cute. The day we was hugging her, she went skipping and running and jumped on him. I was like, I'm not even mad. Because that's how it makes you feel to like touch up, you know, touch them. And it's just sad that it, it's just, it's just, the Sing Sing is just the worst jail in history, I believe. And you know what I don't understand is, listen, we've already had contact, right? If you are able to hug him, what is the sense of keeping us separated at the table when we've already, if we are infected, we're, we've already infected them, right? With the hug. It's mm -hmm. just so ridiculous. You know, some of the rules that they implement just don't make any kind of sense. But you know what? Listen, we're going to follow the rules because we want to see our husbands. You know, In a we restaurant now, you can take your mask off and you can sit and eat around. So why can't we just, you know, once we're there, have our mask off, talk, whole hands. I mean, New York State makes the hand sanitizer. Come on now. They can have a bottle at every table. <laughs> Listen, uh, they're, making, they're making the mask too. And guess what? They don't have, they don't have several masks where they can interchange. It's not that they're, they're creating yeah. them for everyone else, but they themselves are not allowed to have more than one. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just and they uh, won't allow us to send them any either no no because i tried and they told us no it was contraband but i'm informed that it's now in their commissary so they can purchase this themselves so they try to make money off of them as usual it's a, business. it's a big business it's a big business, <laughs> it's a business. new york make hand sanitizer <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The, the, um, the, wait, what is it wait, called wait, also they are they have and our governor has given them a new name. They are now to be called, and they do it, they did it today. At, no, the second, did, August 2nd. Oh, they did it, yes. August 2nd, yes, they did it today. Um, and are you girls to say that or get accustomed to that? Because, you know, that's, yes. that's like, it's like you're calling out their name, right? They are not yes. like 02A, whatever. You know, they are not inmates. Right. They're human beings. Right, right. and they said, oh. um, they said, um, can you, um, the, how are you saying the, the incarcerated the individuals the incarcerated individuals please stand i fell out i said oh it's in law they must have got the memo because it was it's a law on the second of august so now they're called incarcerated individuals they cannot call them inmate or prisoner you know i just say call them gentlemen god dog <laughs> we already know they in prison you ain't got to keep calling them those things we know they think we hear we know like you we know, know. You know what they said about them? It said penological terms such as felon, inmate, prisoner, offender, and convict have long been noted by many impacted by the criminal legal system as dehumanizing, degrading, and as importing the idea that incarcerated people should be permanently demonized. Yeah. So they did away with it. Yes. Oh, God. But that's just and another they form of repressing, mm -hmm. uh, yes. you know, the, just repressing us. You know, to, just to it, have it, something it, over, you know, like uh, just power over over that. I yeah. and I just feel like it's this modern day slavery anyway. And I'm not saying that you're not supposed to be punished for a crime that you did, but some of these sentences are ridiculous. Like, okay, if they were 16 when they went to jail, 
don't you think at 44 they'll be fine now? Like some type of rehabilitation, something, give them some type of chance to try to come back into society? Well, let me tell you something. The sentencing project, if anyone's interested in, in checking them out, um, you can read about uh, this group. It's um, bit.ly slash three small w small r u slash um, uppercase q uppercase b z they say that there's a stereotype right there's a stereotype about people who commit violent crimes but the truth is that there are studies there are there's research that the recidivism rate of these individuals that commit these you know uh violent crimes they won't go back to prison but people who are um who are the lawmakers they're using a fear factor right with the rest of society who don't take the time to read these things and read the research and so um they stereotype but then they don't go back to that research to see what it is and and you know instead they want to make prisons just a, a, a business it's a business do you know that today there are more lifers in New York State than there was in the entire prison system in 1970. Really? Oh, yes. wow. I didn't know that. That is sad. That is insane. Like, it just blows my mind because it's a business. You know, like, they're just, they don't care. They don't care. They don't no. care. They don't yeah. care. You know, um, and, um, you know, we're, in a, we're just in an era of mass incarceration. And this is why it's so important to make people aware of all the great advocacy groups that are out there fighting to get laws make sense into place. It's, it's arduous, it's not easy. Uh, we've already started um, with, you know, with meeting with the senators and with assembly people and it's crazy. Quick question. Um, just um, Kalia in, in in Atlanta, in Georgia, are prisons for profit still? Are there still for profit prisons? Oh, I'm not sure. I know Florida, they're all um, state owned for what I understand. Not sure about Atlanta. I, I would assume that they were all owned by the state. Mm -hmm. Because one thing, one good thing Cuomo did, you know he did away with the um, prisons for profit in New York State. Well, the truth so. is, and y'all know, I don't even want to start this again, because y'all know <laughs> I, I, I'm totally against J-Pay. I'm getting this shirt made. But even the prison- Class action lawsuits. You know, yeah. Class action. Everything that we use, the, um, the phones, the J-Pay, all of that is for profit. So it's, it's, it's just the hub. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. it's the truth and that jpay sucks that is the worst thing ever um i had to send i had sent my husband some money he never got it so i had to call back and send my confirmation number so they reimbursed me for it because they said cause he never got it on his end so jpay is blaming the facility the facility is blaming jpay so then i have to resend it Mind you, when they gave me back the money, they didn't give me that $3.99 fee. So I have to wind up paying that fee again. So I was like, no, where's my $3.99 fee the first time when y'all didn't get it to him? But I'm they're sorry. blaming the facility. Like, they're blaming each other. So I need to know who are we going to 
C to get me my three ninety nine back because it's fees for everything. I'm like so sick of it. I'm shocked I'm so you even got that back, to be honest. And it's sad, but I'm shocked you even got your money back. Oh, I'm not, because I went to the supervisor, man. I was screaming, yelling. I said, I know where y'all at. I'm coming there with my lawyer. You got to you gotta, you gotta be evil and mean. And now I'm like throwing lawyers' names around and stuff. So I'm acting like I'm Big Willie and all of this stuff. So they're like, oh, no, she's crazy. Like, you know, we're not going to deal with her. But yeah, give me my money back. Like, I'm so, I'm just so sick of all of them. I'm just like, oh, I, I just get, literally, I get sick right before I got to go in there. Yeah. Like, right before I got to go in there, I literally get, like, I feel nauseous. It I'm gets like, worse. Somebody, it or not, anything huh? isn't the worst. It gets worse. Oh, yes. And then um, the video calls, they never work at all. I don't know what but kind of stuff that is. But you don't, you don't <laughs> we don't want them. <laughs> we don't want them. Okay. <laughs> I just think that they should um, let the inmates have phones and we pay for them. Hey. I'm sorry. Not inmates. Incarcerated well, okay, women. I'm going to make you put a dollar every time you say that in a job. Okay, yes. Wait, a quarter? Can we do a quarter? And then maybe, no, we'll do a dollar. And then for, when it fills up, maybe we could send that to someone who doesn't have a family. We could send That's them a good, yes. Yeah, I mean, the, um, the, um, incarcerated individuals. Incarcerated individuals. <laughs> they, they, we, they should, I mean, we pay for everything else. I think if we give them a phone, like, it doesn't have to be some fancy, crazy, snazzy, snazzy, whatever, but they should, we should able to give them a phone and we put them on our plan and that's it. I mean, I know they might have called us a hundred times in oh, the no, day. no, no, no. We can't. <laughs> I can't have a phone call all the time. No. Girl, please. You don't know when we started. I'm just saying, yeah. this, like, it would be better, beneficial, and we wouldn't be losing all our money because Look at all the money that we lose on calls. And all it used to be worse. It used to be worse. Remember when the phone bill was like a thousand dollars a month? I heard about that. I don't know about that. And what do the fees go to? What do the fees go to? It's not getting better. So that's the fee. New York is cheap right now. We pay um point zero two cents a minute right now. So me, I only spend no more than forty dollars a month. On, on calls, maybe 20. So you could buy some more stamps, <laughs> right? <laughs> but the mail, the JPEG, it gets there like two weeks Like he said, I got a letter from him this morning, like three in the morning, July 2nd. I hear JPEG coming in. I'm like, JPEG at two in the morning. It's no way. It's, it's a July 2nd letter. What are they doing? We need reparations. Yeah, we do. We need a class action suit against JPEG. And New York, State, New York State gets a percentage of what JPEG gets. It, it's not it, it's not beneficial to New York State. So this is why they come up with other means that um, they kind of try to uh, sugarcoat it and make it seem that it's more convenient for us and the family members when it's not. It's filling and lacing their pockets with money. But um, let me tell you, you know who who reviews the the JPEGs that come in? It's the same. It's officers that are there that we probably know because that's probably was, why it takes so long. Yeah, there was one time where my husband and I were. Um, we were on the phone and we were 
you know, debating something and, 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 and uh, you know, at odds. And um, there was an officer that went to him and said, you know, you need to stop talking to your wife that way. She's so nice and she comes here to visit you all the time. So I appreciate her. I was just like, what? You're not fucking, talk I'm sorry. You're not calling me on that phone anymore because you know what? How is it that people, how is it that officers can, I know that it's their job to monitor the calls, but there has to be, there has to be a, a line as to what you divulge. That's private. I mean, I guess nothing is private if I come is, to think about it. You know what I'm saying? Because oh. everything is monitored. But how dare she go to him and tell him that? How dare she? But she don't know that the Wi-Fi messed him up. That's the thing to get me. Like, you know what's going on in the phone conversation. <laughs> okay. Oh, my God. You playing Ayana Fix My Life, but you don't know that the Wi-Fi messed up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, guys, I want to shift gears a little bit, and I want to talk about the latest summer issue. Yay! Y'all can see this? Issue of the wall. Yay! This issue is bigger and better, and I want to thank all of the art KP2, right? Your article is amazing. Everybody is giving me great feedback about it. Um, Ms. Uh, Jose Colon, very good article. They love the generational, um, you know, every every generation has a Joy Floyd. They love that. Um, everybody was like, I didn't know that about Anthony Baez, or I didn't know that about Abdul Diallo, or I didn't know that about, you know, this person. I mean, great feedback. We have um, Charlie Norris. He did an amazing article on, and he's going to join us later because he wants to, you know, and talk to the TED Talk guy and stuff. But he did an amazing article about Joy Floyd and us being, uh, being human. Just generally being human, and I thought that was an amazing article he did. Um, also, our one of our newer guys that's from behind the wall, Mr. His Serious, that's his pen name, Serious. Um, he did the conversation, which was an amazing piece that he heard two of two elder gentlemen that was incarcerated longer than he has been alive, and he talked about their conversation, and he said that now he started to appreciate that he has a number behind his name. And these two gentlemen don't have numbers behind their name, which means they're lifeless. So he's like, yo, they've been alive. They've been in prison long and I've been alive. And he just breaks down on how, you know, the jail system is dehumanizing him, but he also is striving to do better for his sons. And he's, you know, actually grateful that he can come out and do better and how you know, as a child, they do not aspire to go to prison. Like nobody aspires to go to prison. Things happen that they're human. Give them a chance, give them a break to come back into society and regain and rebuild with their families. And you never get your time back, which the TED Talk guy talks about greatly. But, um, you know, time with your family is precious. And he just was, you know, saying how he would love to get, you know, just you know get just he can't wait to get out and to be with his family members and things of that nature also um pun did an article as well and we thank him i think he's going to stop by later as well to give us a little bit of a talk about you know how he feels about expressing himself with the world magazine also um bruce bryant also um he did on education and incarceration. He's also at Sing Sing. He does some TED Talks as well. And also my boy um, from all the way from Alabama, Ronnie Pugh, 
he did about mental support, how he likes, he wants mental support. He doesn't care about finances. He said he want to be able to call somebody when he's ready to jump off a roof and let them talk him off that roof. Cause he's been locked up for a long time too. Cause he was like, you want, you know, um, his article is deep. And I, I said, I've never thought about it like that. He was like, money, you can make money. He said, but I need to, when I call you, pick up the phone. I'm on my end, you know, I'm my wits in. Walk me through, get me off the ledge, get me back to feeling, you know, good about myself, something so I could come home to my family. So these amazing authors and, you know, Charlie Norris, Jeannie, um, Indira, KP2 Right, Clear Park, I thank you all for helping me with this vision and giving our husbands and other family members a platform to, um, you know, write about what they're going through, what they're feeling, because I'm quite sure they have great emotions that they're going through, and they are fathers, and they uncles, and their brothers, and their husbands, and they are human of all anything else. And um, I just think this is going to be a great thing, you know, to be to be used later on in our next as our articles grow and get bigger and the magazine gets better. I hope we touch a lot more lives and a lot more people to give them that platform to talk and find out, you know, about it because it's a community behind the wall that people don't know about. And yeah, it's kind of it sounds doom and gloom, but there's some good things that become come out of it as well. There are families that are raised behind the wall. There are people that. They do make babies in the trailer. <laughs> they grow their families behind the wall, you know. <laughs> so it, you know, it's really um, it's it's a great thing, and I really um applaud all of the gentlemen. They are excited, and this time we had a glitch with getting. Oh my God, this issue, this issue, this issue with George Floyd. On we had them small in the corner, we had them big on the front. It was a lot of work i even they tried to say i lost my visits behind the damn magazine i had to act like a a, a crazy person the looms a lunatic feeling like i'm getting my crack was gone because i see my husband every day so i felt withdrawal for three days it was like oh, no, to fuck I you off the ledge uh, yes i was on that ledge but indira talked me down <laughs> Like, I can't stop crying at all. But, you know, it's really a great publication. And I thank everybody for participating. But we're going to try to fight, figure out a better way, which the um, one of the officers told um, Spank to, I mean, Corey, to go to the media review board and let them know, hey, this is a magazine that's going to come into the jail. So they are going to approve it. So it should be no more with the next issue and for them having a problem getting it in there. Because I sent 10, they only gave him four. I said, oh no, go get my magazines because if they don't give you magazines, they're going to pay me for each one because it belongs to the guys in there. They all get a magazine. So now he's trying to track down the other four to get it to the rest of the guys. So yeah, but if not, I'll just send more because more is coming because this issue is really selling a lot, and I'm surprised because we got um we actually got one that was brought in Canada. What? So it was. Huh? I didn't. Oh, okay. But um, <laughs> yeah. So um, well, real briefly before some of the guys come in because we're waiting for some of our guests on. I mentioned that they tried to take away my visit. So on June 28th, 
I had a run-in with none other than C.O. De Jesus from Sing Sing Correctional Facility. She is a correctional officer that stands behind, um, like it's a process, this trailer that you go through and in the trailer, she stands there and she does the final check before you go actually into the gate to go see your loved one. So she tells you to take off your belt, like she examines your clothes, your pockets. I think she has like radar. I don't know what's wrong with her. She got issues. She she ain't got no authority at home because she acts like a fool when she gets in Sing Sing. So this particular day, I was trying to get the magazine cup, like new covers that Indira had came up with into the jail as a regular picture because you can bring in pictures to show your loved ones and bring them back the pictures to show him like which cover do you want. This heifer said, you can't bring them. Didn't I tell you? I said, no, no. We're not going to start off with didn't I tell you because you're not my mom. We're going to break it down and you're going to talk to me with some respect. Well, you can't bring those in yet. So I snatched the pictures from her. I ripped them up and threw them in the garbage. And I'm pissed now because she always has something to say to me. So another officer, White, was in the gate to let you in. So I'm going, I'm mad. I'm like, oh, this, oh, this girl. I was like, just, I was just so mad. And you could tell, like, my tear brims were right there. But it was out of anger because I wanted to beat her ass. So I go, and White was like, don't worry about it, Miss Liggins. Just go in and enjoy your visit. So I go inside. I enjoy my visit with her. I'm coming out the visit. She has another. Now, White turns his back when I'm leaving the visit. I'm like, oh, have a, you know, have a good day. She has another CO, her name is Innocence, come in and tell me, oh, you lost your visits. You can't come back for seven days. Wow. I'm like, excuse me? You cursed, and we got cameras and, and video, and we heard you. I didn't know that's against the rules. I'm like, what? I, I, I took my paper. I held it together. I walked out. I went got my bag. I went to my car, I immediately called the dealer, and that's when I lost it. I was like, I can't really crying or crying, screaming, kicking, whatever. So then I had to, Charlie! <laughs> Welcome, Charlie, how are you? Do you hear us? Oh, oh. He's on so you. Oh, okay. So I was kicking and screaming, so I got a number, and I got the number because now I'm thinking my husband's going to flip out because they told him I lost my business. He didn't know, and so I emailed him, and then he, oh, then he flipped out. Oh, boy, did he flip out. Oh, they can't do that. It doesn't work like that. So I did send an email to Albany. I did, um, you know, I then called the next day to speak to Officer Perez, and he was like, Very nice. Sergeant. Sergeant. Sergeant Perez, very nice guy. He's a lieutenant yeah, now. He's not there anymore. He moved. They moved him. Really? No. They Are shipped him up. They shipped him out of Sing Sing. And he was one of the best sergeants. He so was. He, he's a lieutenant. Maybe they retaliated against him. So um, he's a lieutenant, but because they didn't have a, a position for him uh, to work in that functionality at Sing Sing, he was waiting for another spot somewhere else. It's just like, wow. um, what's her face? She she passed her test and she's a sergeant. She's no longer there. She's in green. Uh, Johnson. She was there on Friday. Who cares? She's not a nice person. But Perez was nice. Like yeah. he, he was actually wonderful. Was like, yeah, because he was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, Miss Liggins. I know who you are. What do you mean you go? So I'm explaining to him. He was like, whoa, whoa. He said, do me a favor. 
He said, call me back at 2.30. I'm going to go see the watch commander because I don't have nothing on my desk saying anything. So, of course, <laughs> I call back. They don't let me get through to him. So the next day, now because I'm getting nervous because it's coming up to the July 4th weekend, so I'm like, I need to see my husband, and they're, you know, playing games. I get the number for a nice gentleman. If you ever need a problem, you guys take this number. If you are listening, his name is Muhammad. And it's, they police the um, actual COs. So if you have a complaint, a problem, and they want to hear from you for that, the number is 212-254-5700. And that's for any New York State prison facility. If you have a problem with a CO, they will. Mr. Muhammad is no joke because... I called him crying, like I always do. And I told him what happened. And he was like, what? Can you email me that in an email? And we're going to take care of this because this doesn't even sound right. They can't tell you. I didn't curse, but you can't. they can't tell you not to curse. And that's not a reason for you to take your visits. Like, that doesn't even make sense. So I called back the Thursday. What's the name of what's the name of that uh, of uh, where Mr. Muhammad works? Is there a name attached to that? It's the, um, it's the, a correctional Officers um, Association. That's exactly okay. what it is. And they police the correction officers. So when I called back that Thursday for Mr. Perez, he was so cute. He sent me straight to the superintendent's office and I got Miss Mary on the phone who tells me, oh, hello, like so pleasant. I'm like, oh my God, thank you for being so nice. You also, this is the first person I spoke to that was nice. She said, well, I have a problem with that already. But I'm going, you know, what's going on? So I told her the whole story. She was like, hold on, give me your husband's um, DIN number. I give the DIN number. She said, who are you? I said, I'm paying religious. She said, when did this incident happen? I said, June 28th. She said, well, here it says June 28th. You had a good visit. There's no restrictions on your visit. So she lied. C.O. Jesus lied and tried to disrupt my visits with my husband just because she wanted to be me. So she said, can you please email me that? I said, no problem. So I said, are you sure I could go on a visit because it's a long way? She said, I dare them not to let you go on a visit because when I come back, everybody that told you that you couldn't come here, they're going to be leaving out when I come down. I said, okay. So I had my girls, Jeannie and Indira. I said, oh, I'm scared they're going to not let me in. But of course, positive thinking. They let me in. <laughs> she was like positive thinking. They let me in. But the funny thing about it is when I got there, I saw Mr. Muhammad held up his part of the deal. And I was brought, you know, into the to the facility and everything. And Miss Um Miss G, I'll say, because I'm not gonna say her name, she takes me straight to the back to the vending machine. She was like, what happened? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm just happy I'm inside because I hadn't seen him in three days. That's like, like, it like killed me. I haven't seen him in three days. I'm like, I don't know. She was like, they took the Jesus out of here. They took her badge. They took her, they took her out of here. I was like, are you kidding me? They was like, yes, they took her out of here and she suspended without pay. So further notice. So she was suspended for two weeks without pay for making up that lie, doing a false everything. And that's it. But she's still up to her shenanigans yeah. again. She's back with her shenanigans again. Why would they put her back in the? She's not supposed she... to be there because she's no. fighting it with the union. 
Like, you know what I think? I think that people need to get together. And if they've had an incident with her, everyone needs to follow the same steps, if you will, that you took. So like that, the superintendent is aware that there is an abuse of power happening in that specific area. And so because it's not just a singular event, that it's it's it's, it's a lot more than just one person. And uh-huh. to have her removed from that position because, I, you know. She's not supposed to be because every time she's there, Mr. Muhammad's like, call me, let me know she's there. She'll be gone for like two days and then she'll be right back at her post. And he's like, call me every time. And so we, he said, I, I'm not gonna get tired of doing this. Like I said, well, I'm gonna get tired of it because I'm not gonna, like, I, just leave me alone. I just wanna see my husband and be left alone, you know? So that's basically it. But um, enough about me. Charlie, Mr. Charlie Noise, one of our great authors from the Summer Issue. How are you doing? How's your summer? Thank you for your wonderful article. We're getting great feedback about it. How's everything? Um, summer's great. Um, enjoying myself working, you know, work, still working at home, um, riding, bicycle riding, um, and just hanging out. But uh, um, no, it was a, it, I'm really honored that you printed the article. I mean, I've been doing a lot of writing um, for people who don't know. My background is kind of unusual. I grew up in Greenberg, New York, which is Har- in Hartsdale's in Greenberg, New York. And- I'm from Greenberg. <laughs> Yeah. Woodlands. Oh, Old Terry Town Road. <laughs> Have we met? Did, did we talk about this already? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so I'm 62. Another one. Oh, okay. I'm 92. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, it was a very, so my parents moved into Greenberg because my father was a school psychologist, but they also wanted to be part of what was going on in then Greenberg 8. So I don't know if you know, but there was a Greenberg 7 and a Greenberg 8. So I was part of Greenberg 8. Green, you were in, you would have been in Greenberg 8. So that's like Juniper Hill and, you know, Fairview, all that was Greenberg 8. Greenberg 7 was the Four Corners down on Central Avenue. So those two districts merged. And unfortunately, what happened after that was a lot of white flight. Um, but it was a really powerful, I am Greenberg every day. And I'm, I'm very close with a group of people. There's like 30 or 40 of us from go back to kindergarten. And it is a rainbow. And a couple of weeks ago, there were 20 of us at the Newport Jazz Festival. And we just walk around and people have no idea who we are, what, where we come from and, and, and our view of the world. And Greenberg did that for me. And I continue to, to preach that. Um, Andy Courtney probably wasn't there when you were there. He was an art teacher who was trying to overthrow the world. I'm still in touch with Courtney, he's 83. Um, so it was really unique. And, uh, and anyway, it um, over the last, two, three years, I've done a lot of writing and thinking about um, the value of my skin as opposed to the value of other people's skin and, and, and the benefits that have been conferred on me. I mean, I grew up in a garden apartment complex. I didn't grow up rich. Um, my parents were separated four times. And, um, but the world viewed me a certain way. 
And when I left Greenberg is when I began to understand that. It took a long time because in Greenberg, it was just us. So, um, and I've gotten, um, I'm an anti-racist. Um, I'm angry at a lot of liberals. I was a liberal. I guess I'm something else now because <laughs> liberals are the kind of people who live in Scarsdale or someplace and they'll, they'll cut a $200,000 check to the NAACP, but they don't want you living in your neighborhood. In their That's neighborhood. true. So those are the people I'm very angry at. And uh, so uh, I've been on the board of Ed and White Plains for 17 years trying to talk about, um, you know, uh, making everybody comfortable at the table. It's a small city diverse school district and, um, and we need white people to talk about this because much the same way that sexual predators and sexual violence is an issue where women are victims, but men have to change their behavior. Racism is the same thing. Same oh yeah, thing. that's true. Yeah. But anyway, but life was good. Uh, my son had a great pandemic. So if you oh, good. Netflix, you can watch him on a really good TV show on Netflix. His son is on, can you tell him the show on Netflix that your son is on? That's called Never Have I Ever. Oh. And yeah. uh, he plays Trent. Uh, he looks a little bit like me, but he, he's looking and he's, he's talented. <laughs> <laughs> What's the premise? What's the show about? I don't know what Mindy Kaling is. Mindy Kaling, she wrote and was on The Office, and then she had something called The Mindy Project. She's had a bunch of things. She's Indian American, like from India, Asia, India. And the, the premise of the show is what it was like being Indian American going to high school in the United States. But instead of her writing the show in the late 80s or 90s when she actually grew up, it takes place now. They, I mean, it's, it's a comedy, but they deal with LGBTQ issues and all kinds of issues. And oh. My son's like the stoner on the show. That is so cool. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> well, I was, um, I'm, I'm very happy to have met Charlie and he shared his, um, his, his whole, the, the article itself was really great about um, George Floyd because a lot of any, a lot of people that saw that film and saw him die, they still said, well, we don't know what happened three minutes before that. Or they still try to give the officers a break on what, you know, why, we don't know why they did that to him. I don't care if he spit in the officer's face, he still should have not died or did, you know, that happened. And Charlie just brought such light to it as us being human beings, forget about black, forget about white. And, and he has another a piece that he shared with me that's going to definitely be in the fall issue as well. Um, it's called The Boy in the Beautiful Box, right, Charlie? I'm not gonna tell y'all what it's about. I'm gonna let y'all read it. <laughs> we can't hear you, Charlie. Oh, can you hear me now? Yes. Yeah, we can hear you. Yes, now we can hear you. Um, Back to the George Floyd thing. So, um, so I knew, like, growing up in Greenberg, growing up where we grew up, um, there was stark comparison so if somebody from greenberg white or black 
you know, had a joint or something on them, we got in trouble. If it's Scarsdale, nothing. <laughs> but you fast forward that to, to the violence. And unfortunately today, everything has become so polarized and politicized. So I, I, look, I'm, you, you folks have beautiful stuff. So, so I, I stand on the sideline as a witness. I am Jewish. I've had, I've been beaten up twice in my life because I was anti-Semitic, but once by a cop, but whatever, wow. a long time ago. But um, I, so I stand as a witness to what I've seen happen to my friends and happen to the people that I love, you know, going back to kindergarten, my family, in fact, I've actually turn my back on, I have certain family members, blood family members in California that are no longer my family. I had to reject them. That they have. So, um, to, so it's ridiculous to watch, as Pamela said, to watch the George Floyd video, to watch the full seven minutes and 18 seconds and not think that that man was murdered. He's murdered, that's murder. That's murder on a tape. And I don't care if your father was a police officer, it doesn't matter who killed him. And in, in one respect, it was murder. And to excuse it for any reason, for any reason is just, um, we've got to do better. And, and, but we've seen it on so many occasions, right? It seems that there is black law and there is white law. And um, people are treated according to their color skin, which is, uh, it's more prevalent now. I think that people find that it's okay to be that way but, uh, more openly than it was maybe back in the day. I'm sure that this is something that's always been the case, but you, you don't see it uh, as, as often as, well, maybe it's because it's being uh, recorded more now, you know? Yeah, definitely. But um, I, I don't, um, it's just sad. It really, really is. And I think uh, until everyone has a mindset reset, um, we're going to continue on this horrible path. And it's, it's just, uh, it's horrible, horrible, horrible. I mean, there are just no words. There are no words. For a really long time. And, and, and um, I mean, as long as guys like, People tune into Tucker Carlson. As long as people, you know, I think part of it is a backlash. So it was unbelievable when Barack and Michelle were elected. I thought that that was going to be this watershed moment. It's the most beautiful couple, the most intelligent couple, a beautiful family. I mean, like everything that quote unquote America stands for is in mm -hmm. Yes. And I think that what we're seeing, unfortunately, is, is a backlash because there are a lot of white people who are just, they think they're somehow they're gonna become marginalized. Somehow their rights are gonna be taken away from them, which is absurd. Black Lives Matter has nothing to do with white people other, other than that white, what white people do. But as, it's, not, it's not about, us, it's about equity, equal 
rights for everybody. It's about all those magic words in the Constitution and all those beautiful words. And when we sing sea to, sea to shine and sea and pledge allegiance and all that crap, that's what it's about. That's what this country is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I'm going to fight for that um, because I, as my, my brothers and sisters who do a, we're together all the time um, and the things that have happened. My friend, so I have a very close friend, Kevin Graves, who my wife thinks is the most handsome guy in the world. And I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin, Kevin and I have been um, brothers since kindergarten, literally. There was a Graves family older than you. Uh, Kevin became a lawyer and he's very successful and he's very handsome and (laughs) so he has his firm is based outside of Boston and in white and in uh, Westchester County and he um a few years ago not that long ago uh sometime after 2000 so not that long ago. Every year, they take their staff out in, to a very high-end restaurant in Boston. It's like 30 people. So they're all at this restaurant. And one night, Kevin wasn't feeling well at the event. So Kevin gave his credit card, because he was paying for everything, to somebody and said, I'm going back to my hotel. And as he walked out the restaurant, a big white bouncer threw a headlock on it and said, N-I-G-G, where are you going? So that would never happen to me. Kevin's a lot smarter and better looking than I am, and that would never happen. <laughs> it's true. And so we got to stand up. We all have to stand up together. Amen. But I appreciate you saying that because a lot of people in general, just across the rainbow spectrum, does not admit that they don't they don't carry that same um, beliefs, or they say it and don't mean it, or they'll say it because it's politically correct. But I generally feel when you're right when you're writing, it's from your heart. You can tell when somebody really feels or means something. It's from your heart. It's from what you really feel. This is what you live. This is what you read. This is what you want America to be. And I appreciate that because a lot of people, they act like as if we're animals or if we're totally different just because of our skin color. I'm like, I hurt. You cut me and I cut you. We got the same red blood. And, you know, I just, I, I applaud that. And all of your writings just makes me feel like, wow, he's just, it's just great. I mean, it's just, it's, it's great. And, it, and people need to hear that and see that everybody is not a racist. Everybody does not feel that we should be divided. Some people really feel like we are a melting pot and that we all need a chance to live our lives and to be harmonious and to be under one law and one different thing. And I think, Charlie, that with your writing, you really show and you give that that type of, you, you feel it and you feel your emotions through your writing. So I applaud you and I'm gonna keep putting stuff in the magazine that you write because it's a human interest and it's like, damn, he gets it. Like he really gets what it is to be a human. And a lot of, unfortunately, 
um, Caucasian and people of other races do not understand it. It's only understandable when it's your race that is being, um, being of race, you know, being attacked. Like right now, um, it's quick off the subject. They started attacking a, a Asian Americans saying, oh, y'all created COVID. That was the worst thing ever. They didn't create it. They didn't bring it here. They're getting it too. Like, what's wrong with y'all? Like, it's just the ignorance of people. And, and it's just, okay, I understand that we are angry and we are all locked in, but let's all get vaccinated and do something else in order to, um, and Dara, we lost her. She's trying to get back in. <laughs> um, um, to, um, you know, make a better, to make a better world, to make a better place. I have a quick, I have a quick story. When I, uh, growing up, I grew up in the South Bronx, Hunts Point Avenue. And uh, back then it was, it was mixed. You know, you had uh, several Italian families, you had some Jewish families. There were only a handful of Latinos and uh, maybe one or two black families. Now, growing up with, um, with the, all the different cultures and being a kid, you know, as a child, you're innocent, right? You're just plain, you know, uh, and it's beautiful. You know, if we can go back to that mental state where we just look at everyone as, as people, it would be such a beautiful world. But anyway, you know, everyone started moving away. And then, of course, Hunts Point turned out to be uh, pretty bad. But, um, you know, I still had that mentality. I went to a middle school that was predominantly black. And I gotta tell you that I had a fight almost every other day because the black girls there could not stand me. Why? I don't know, but they didn't want me talking to any of the guys. And all I kept hearing was stick to your own kind, stick to your own kind. And I didn't understand that. I never understood that. It's like, what do they mean stick to your own kind? These are my friends. Like, I don't understand. And then in high school, it was the same thing. So in high school, it was predominantly white. And once again, I was being called a spick. I had no idea what that term meant, no idea what it meant. And in high school, you would think, like my mom didn't raise me like that. Like I'm Puerto Rican and Puerto Ricans in my family, they come and like pitch black as night to wear very fair skinned and, and with straight hair blonde. You know what I mean? Cause we're, we're really mixed, you know? So in high school, I started, I started um, thinking like, wow, is there a difference? Why am I different? And, and why is black different? Why is white different? It, what is the difference? I just see you as a person. What is the difference? And I, I started to feel a little like, oh, I had a crush on this boy who was Italian and he had the nerve to say, I wish that we were from the same neighborhood. Meanwhile, he was like two train stops away. I know that he meant I can't date you because you're Puerto Rican and my family would kill me if I went out with, uh, with a Latino woman and not my own kind. And that was the, that was the first time in high school and I, that high school is pretty old that I really felt the racism, you know, and I didn't understand. I just, it, it, I didn't understand, but it's very real. And people are afraid of different. So because I'm different than you, then there's something wrong with me because you don't look like me. So what's wrong with you? And maybe that's where the ignorance comes in with, with people. And if you're not taught at a very young age to love everyone and not um, have this stigma of 
being different because you're a little darker than me or because your hair is curly or what, you know, your eyes are green and mine are brown. Um, people just grow up with that ignorance and, and, and they're fearful of what they don't know. And mm -hmm. that's just sad. It's just so sad. I mean, it, it was for me, you know, to a certain point. And I said, no, that's not how I was raised. That's not, you know, I have friends from every, from every part of the world, you know, and I love them all the same. And you know what, when you're an asshole, you're an asshole, doesn't matter what color you are. You know what I mean? Uh, has nothing to do with race or color or anything like that. So um, it's gotta be tough. I don't know, Charlie, from your, from your point of view, you know, feeling that you, that maybe you did have white privilege. That must've been tough too. Well, it was, you know, it, was, it was interesting. So my dad, my father, unfortunately, passed away um, in 1997. He was a great guy. So before he married my mother, he dated a black woman in the early 1950s. So I grew up in a, I grew up in a situation where people were people. Um, I grew up in a situation where I was taught to just respect people. Um, and take everyone as an individual and see who they are. You don't like everybody, because as you said, somebody could be an asshole and it doesn't matter um, you know, what they are. But what I do find is that because of the message that I try to bring into the world, that there are, and again, some very liberal, very intelligent white people who are not really comfortable with me. They don't quite get what I'm saying. You know, they, they think that, yeah, they don't, they don't quite get what I'm saying. But what's really interesting, I, I don't know if I said this last time I was on, but this is really fascinating. So I, I really, uh, I'm a sort of a science nerd. Um, <laughs> so I do a lot of research about stuff. So up until 50,000 years ago, this is really important, I think. Up until 50,000 years ago, all humanity was still in Africa, the birthplace of, of humanity. So it was an equatorial Africa. So around the equator, the sun's rays are very strong. So hum, hum, humans evolved with a lot of melanin in their skin because you needed to protect that from the sun's rays. 50,000 years ago, humanity slowly started leaving Africa and spreading out across the globe. And the further north or south they went from the equator, so as the sun's rays got weaker, they couldn't absorb enough vitamin D. So over time, some people, over generations, generations, thousands of years, people lost melanin. That's where white people come from. But everyone started in Africa and was dark-skinned. And all skin color is, is an, ad, an adaptation over time to how much light there was where people settled. That's all skin color is. That's all it is. But unfortunately, skin color um, got conflated and confused and became this concept of race. But one of the things that happened, I, I, Pamela, tell me if I'm talking too much. But um, <laughs> um, I think Indira had a question and Kalia had a question. Do you guys have a question? Oh, um, well, 
I was just wondering, um, the gentlemen that are supposed to come on, when are they coming on again? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Pun is trying to dial in. Um, Jermaine has not responded to me. Okay. Oh, what he wants to know what the number is. He wants to dial in. Is wait, hold on. Um, after Kalia, would you KP two rights? We have something to say. Let me try to get him in. I didn't have a question. I just had an opinion and I wanted to be very clear on this opinion. When it comes to, uh, I definitely, I'm all for looking at the fact of our skin color and which one is lighter, which one is darker, but I do want to be clear on the fact that it's the difference between oppression oh, and uh, lack of self-esteem for short of a better word, because I do believe that when us in our African-American community mistreat each other. I do believe that that's a um, lack of self-esteem and um, a lack of appreciation for our beautiful culture. But um, African-Americans, we are a minority. Um, the Latinos are minorities as well. So I, I believe it's impossible for us to be racist and um, people that are superior to us, um, oppressing us is definitely a different, different situation. And I do agree with, um, I mean, I was taught the Black Lives Matter stance using firemen at a fire station. If you call the fireman because somebody's house is on fire in your community, that's just because that, that house is on the community, um, in the community is on fire at that time. But it's not saying that the rest of the houses don't matter. Not saying that the other houses next door doesn't matter. It's not saying that if the flames hit the other house, it doesn't matter. But we wanna be clear, like, hey, focus on that issue. And the issue is the, the oppression that is going on in our community and causing our um, incarcerated individuals, I mean, causing, more of us to be incarcerated and puts us in a situation with incarcerated individuals. Absolutely. And most of the time, they're innocent. Do you know how many people are being released after years and years and years of incarceration? Right. Um, I have a question. Um, is the, I know that you are a business attorney, but in are we using Sing Sing because me, Jeannie, and, and Dara, we deal with Sing Sing. Um, Kalia, her, her, her father is in Florida, right? And in fact, in fact, jail in Florida. Okay, well, our husbands are in Sing Sing and Aston. And is there a sense? I mean, I know that they are incarcerated individuals and they're in prison for whatever reason it is, but is there a such thing as a CO that they are abusing their powers over them? Like, I mean, okay, they did, but like, doing mean things and retaliation or taking property that they were already allowed to have, um, make it like being mean to their family members, you give the family members a hard time. I mean, the unfair treatment, I mean, and then a lot of the times they'd be like, oh, you lucky you're one of the, one of the CEOs tell them, you lucky you even breathe it because they were like, you know, we're not getting ice and it's 107 degrees. They don't have, they don't have air back there. They don't, some of them don't even have fans. So is there a such thing as being mistreated by COs? I mean, I know 
that they did, but happens. It's commonplace. I read the article you sent me. So the issue is absolutely these people are being mistreated. So we have over-incarcerated, particularly African-American males. So, you know, so if the same, I think I said this before, the same percentage of white people and black and percentage of white people, percentage of smoke pot, but you're much more likely to get you know, arrested if you're African-American. And then once you get into the system, we know what happens once you get into the system. So in terms of being mistreated, yes, there were rules and regulations that supposedly prevent mistreatment. However, and again, unfortunately, I think, and I was thinking about the article that you sent me. So on the one hand, you have a lot of prisons in areas like Dannemora, that's, that's upstate, that's Clinton. Clinton, uh-huh. Attica, all these different places. So these are poor communities where land is cheap. So they were able to buy this land and build these prisons, just like the way when Rockefeller was governor, Nelson Rockefeller was governor, land was cheap and they bought a lot of land upstate and they put universities and colleges. Why is all that stuff upstate? Cheap, land's cheap. But look who you're hiring. Look at the pool that you're hiring from. If you think about where you're hiring prison guards from, particularly upstate, I mean, you're hiring from a lot of poorer, all white communities where, and we've seen this, we've seen this, look, George Floyd, we've seen this all over the place. You're hiring people who don't have cultural understanding, first of all. And then, unfortunately, the prisoners, they don't get a lot of sympathy from people on the outside, if you follow what I'm saying. So if you, you know, so my view, as, as Pamela knows, my, my daughter was raped by a masked gunman 10 years ago. And she's, she's, she's good. She's good. But for nine years, I've been doing volunteer work with this empathy program. My view is if we're going to incarcerate people. Let's set aside for a minute whether they're wrongfully or rightly, rightfully incarcerated. If we incarcerate people, it should be society's job to be responsible for these people, not just feeding them and not just clothing them, but educating them and providing them with the services that they need so that when they come out, they, they can be productive, productive members of society and not fall back in. So, um, so I, I, I do work in that area, but unfortunately, um, uh, not enough people think like me. I don't know how else to say it. Um, President Nixon, interestingly enough, gave more money per capita to prison reform and to education than anybody else. And I wasn't a big Nixon fan, but he understood. If you, we know what happens, you provide education in prisons, rate of recidivism drops, these people come out, they can get jobs and live productive, and you know, be productive members of society. And if we're gonna lock people up, we're responsible for that. But I'm a freak. So, no. Well, that's that's one of the great things about being um, at Sing Sing. Um, um, Hudson Link is an organization who um, has been advocating for that. You know, they are based uh, solely off of um, donations from people that uh, believe 
that higher education is the way um, to uh, rehabilitate, if you will, uh, because it's uh, statistics, statistics show that those who are educated, the recidivism rate is close to none, you know, and um, I think right now Hudson Link is in about five New York State prisons. Um, and um, the founder and, um, and I guess CEO, if you will, of this organization, um, uh, he was formerly incarcerated. And so he knows the plight of these men and women. And it's something that he is, um, he is fighting for. He eats, sleeps, <laughs> uh, and, and drinks um, Hudson Link and, and, and trying to make sure that it's not just five prisons, that it's throughout the New York prisons, um, you know, New York State, uh, because he understands how important that is. Uh, but I believe that there was a governor, it wasn't Cuomo, but Pataki, I believe it was, who had abolished and terminated the... Um, Oh. <laughs> All right, so um, Wilfredo is trying to get on um, and it's telling him that an, uh, there's another meeting in progress. The host has- No, I'm giving, him, I'm giving him the number. I'm finding it now. Give me two minutes. I'm finding it now. Well, while we're, while we're waiting on the gentleman, um, if you can tell us a little bit about Wilfredo and Jermaine. Uh, so Jermaine, I don't think is going to be able to join because he has not. Um, Sorry, it was the pizza. I think that I got back to him a little too late, and Wilfredo's trying to get back in. So, uh, okay. Wil yeah, Wilfredo uh, was also on TEDx. You know, he is he is a um, a graduate from Hudson Link. Um, he was part of Osborne while he was okay. at Sing Sing, and he's just been doing amazing things. Like he was a pillar. Uh, in at Sing Sing, and I'm sure that when he's when he came out, he's got a job. So I mean, he can tell you more about it. I'm gonna give him this number. Um, but uh, yeah, Charlie, like you were saying, uh, you're absolutely right. I think that I think that uh, higher education is the way to go. And uh, New York State has absolutely no reentry programs. They have nothing in place that um, that helps our loved ones grow while they're in prison. And they pretty much are left to their own devices. You know, they they pretty much have to go out there and get it. You know, they you know no one's coming and saying this is an opportunity for you. And 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 even though there are opportunities at Sing Sing, most of the time. Um, you have to qualify. It's crazy. So you're incarcerating our youth who may or may not have a high school diploma, but then you have to take a test to see if you qualify to, 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 to be part of that program. So they're just, they're just stonewalling everybody, just stonewalling instead of making it accessible and or, or offering something that will help them like a, a precursor, if you will, right? To get them to where they need to get so that they can, um, you know, get over that hurdle so that they can continue. Sometimes it's intimidating. It's just intimidating. And, and, uh, and if you go up north, 
they're all, they are all, um, uh, uh, my husband likes to call them, what is it? God, I, I kind of lost the word. Um, um, Jeannie, uh, Indira has lifted her hand up. She has a question. I think I got through. Oh, it's telling me to wait. Huh? Uh, Alfredo. It said it's telling him to wait. Oh, God, let me see if Mark sees him. Okay, go ahead, Indira. Please ask. ask well, before. Before Wilfredo comes in, um, I want to go back to something you said earlier when you were talking about um, one of the authors in your magazine, and um, he said his greatest issue was mental health, um, having the support there on the other line. Um, I just want to bring um, to your attention, I don't know if you guys knew, but we've had a couple um, high-profile suicides in the prisons. Um, we had one in uh, Rikers Island where they say the officers stood by while the guy um, attempted to commit suicide. And recently, I believe in July, uh, we had a suicide at Sing Sing where yes. they were very upset because they claimed the inmate was screaming for help and said if he doesn't get taken to the mental facility, or to get help, he's going to hang himself. He's going to, um, I forgot the actual term, but he begged and he begged and he begged and he begged and the correction officer on duty, so they say, wasn't paying him any attention. And um, the guy ended up hanging himself. And I believe, I know he was on life support in the hospital. I believe he has died um, and he was just, weeks away from getting released. He was a young gentleman and um, he died. Um, and from what I'm hearing, that's the attitude with the correction officers in the prison that they're too either involved with personal um, relationships with the inmates or um, personal issues amongst themselves to care about the mental issues going on with the incarcerated individuals. And it's just sad that this young man um, took his own life. And I believe the officer is back. Um, I don't, I believe they may have suspended her or yeah. it was an investigation, but the same officer is back. And I know a lot of in, uh, incarcerated individuals were very upset about this. Um, you know, but it seems to be a big issue with um, depression, um, hopelessness, a lot of things going on now due to COVID as well um, in all of the prisons, but particularly in Sing Sing. So I wanted to, um, I'm not sure if um, the gentleman that's coming on was around when that happened, but I'd like to ask, you know, what the general um, morale of the gentlemen in there are, basically. I wanna know what's the consequences when stuff happens like this on your watch for the actual correctional officers. Yeah, it seems like there was no consequence because the officer is back. But I mean, for a young man to be coming home in a couple weeks and then ends up taking his life because he was being ignored 
his cries for help being ignored um, was very upsetting to even all the fellow incarcerated men. They were very upset about what happened. And I just, I, I couldn't believe it when I heard that the officer is back on the job. It, it just blew my mind. Well, think about it, Indira, as, as messed up as this is gonna sound, but the guy was brain dead. The family had to make a decision to turn off the, the life support machine, right? He's no mm -hmm. longer there, may he rest in peace. He's no longer there, the family's no longer there. So the officers are probably thinking, who's gonna know, right? Like, what difference does it make? And this is, I think, oh, Wilfredo's gonna cry. Yeah, he finally got on, excellent. You know, at the end of the day, hi. You know, at the end of the day, this is the issue that we are all having, that incarcerated individuals don't matter to those that are supposed to safeguard them. They are the worst ones. They are making life impossible. And I guess Wilfredo can uh, welcome. For you, welcome Alfredo. Thank you for coming on and being a part of our platform and a part of the Wall Magazine team for writing. But before we get to you, just real quick, Jeannie, I wanted to touch base on what you said about the mental health part. Um, I believe the mental support should be on both ends. Some, both like the inmates and the correctional officers, they actually need mental health the dead oneself because there's no way you can tell me. I don't care something is wrong if you don't see it's something wrong with somebody asking you for help and you're not giving it to them. It's no way you telling me that you can, it's some type of mental something going on. So I believe that the mental support has to come on both. And, and I say that too, because they are looking over our loved ones and, and, and for them to be looking over our loved ones, they, and they're locked in there too with them for how many hours out of the day. So I believe all of all of everybody in that community, because it is a community, regardless of what we may think, they all need type of some, some type of mental support, some type of mental health, some type of mental breakdown. But we I want to bring Wilfredo up. Um, Wilfredo, we were talking about the young gentleman. Um, I think it was a month and change ago that hung himself at Sing Sing. Sing Sing. Um, they said his his pleas for help. His pleas for help were ignored, basically. Um, and he ended up hanging himself. Um, so we Unmute were yourself. Unmute yourself. <laughs> oh, now he's gone. Um, Unmute <laughs> This is, look, this is live. Unmute yourself. Tell him, Jeannie, to, oh. I think he's having trouble with the audio. Yeah, because he can... He's having trouble with his internet service. He has to unmute himself. So, Jeannie, text him. Okay. Until he unmutes himself, um, can he hear, ask him, can he hear us? So, so uh, Charlie, with me, what, what are we trying to get Wilfredo Okay. In? What do you feel? Can you hear us? Uh, who is, is that Wilfredo? Yes, it uh, is. 
Okay, hi, Wilfredo. How are you? Thank you for joining us. Uh, you're very welcome. How are you? We're good. So tell us your thoughts. Um, um, first of all, welcome home to the free world. Thank welcome. you. I'm glad you're back in the free world. I'm, you know, I'm, I know your family is happy to have you. And I, I just, I'm so happy for you. So just talk to us a little bit. He's gone again. He's gone again. Oh my God. <laughs> I got to hook him up with a laptop or something because um, I'm sure that he probably has like an outdated phone or something. You know, he just got home, so. No, that's fine. I mean, but where did he go? Oh, Mark is saying he's having internet issues. Okay. Ask him to come in and come back out. I don't know. Talk to him. So, Charlie, what are your thoughts on what I just said about the mental health for both parts? Oh, absolutely need that. So, you know, I... I've resumed doing a little bit of work in the prisons during the pandemic. I did some Zoom stuff. They wouldn't let me go into prisons. I've actually gone back once in the last year. And um, absolutely, you need, I don't know what the hiring qualifications are for somebody who works in prisons, but they need to, that needs to be revamped. Then you need to provide them with education and support including mental health support and mental health support for the prisoners. I mean, everyone, look, look what you, you're, you're caging human beings. And the, 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 uh, the gamekeepers, whatever you want to call them, are the people that you would want watching your kids, a lot of them. So, you, you know, you're in a, you're in a, you're in this highly, volatile situation where everyone's closed in people are locked up it's got to be rethought just a little bit what has to be rethought oh i'm sorry hi i'm charlie how are you i'm good i'm good so the the question what you were out uh, was what did i think pam gave um she suggested that there should be mental health support for both the incarcerated and for the people who work in the prisons. And I think absolutely, but I think that the entire, the whole, the whole process for hiring guards, anybody who works in a prison, you need to have different people working in prisons than you have working now. Um, that would be, so that was one thing I was talking about. Yeah. Can you hear us, Wilfred? I can't hear him. Is he talking? He's in and out. Like, I, can you hear him, Jeannie? Oh my God. <laughs> oh God. He did, but not, not anymore. Okay. Now we see you. Mark said it's not going to work. Hold on. Wilfredo, can you hear us? I can see you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Can you talk? Can you maybe talk? we could just call and put him on speaker. Yeah, tell him just to call Eugenie and put him on speaker. Okay. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's Mark said yes. 
Our engineers say, yes, that's the way to go. But yeah, to call you, Jeannie, and put him on speaker, and we can talk to him until the next time we can get him kind of situated with this Zoom thing. But yeah, um, and, 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 I, and I agree with uh, um, Charlie. I'm saying like, the, and because one of the and one of the prison CEOs, one all of them. Okay, one thing I want to say: every CEO at Sing Sing is not bad. We just stumble upon a lot of the bad apples in there, and the bad apples need to be weeded out because they do abuse of power, they do bullying, and they do these other things, and they and they do it to these guys because they think they don't have no loved ones that are going to challenge them, and. I just think it's so unfair. And just like with the, the COVID vaccine, we have a choice to say which one we want. They're mandating them to do the COVID vaccine because they're saying they're in a communicable, like into like a communicable area. Is he, can he hear us now? Can you hear us? Well, Tell him can you hear us? If you hear me, just call, call me. Are we can oh, speak a phone. Tell him to call you. Oh God. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm just I I just I just think, like I was saying, they all need um and Terry, you can agree with me, all of them are not bad, but the ones that are bad, they really are bad. Like they are horrible. Even with and then and another thing that I don't like, they treat the visitors like us. When we come in to see our loved ones, they treat us like incarcerated individuals, as if we're in there. Like we have to raise our hand we, to go to the bathroom. I'm like, I'm in school again. We know how to go to the bathroom. I mean, if we can hug in the hug box, I can get up and go to the bathroom by myself. I don't have to raise my hand to go to the bathroom. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just, it, it's just, it's horrible. And it makes you so angry that you want to scream sometimes. And I just, I don't even know what type of, like, like Charlie said, it needs to be just broken down and revamped. It just needs to be redone in some type of way. Even these long sentences, you're 16 years old and you get life. Like, they're six, they don't even know. I'm not saying that they don't know right from wrong, but some of the choices that they're making or they're not thinking, it's, it's, it's different from a person that's 30 that committed the same crime as they did. Give them some type of leeway. And I'm not talking about heinous crimes. I'm just talking about regular, some of the crimes. No crime is regular. But it's just something has to be done. And I just think somebody has to say something or do something some way, some way. Is Alfredo, is Wilfredo calling you? No. Um, oh, hi, Wilfredo. Yeah, there you go. He's talking talk, talk, talk. Talk, talk. Tell us something. We're waiting for you. So, you know, um, Charlie, you were saying about qualifications maybe and the hiring process and, and stuff. Um, I have a friend who is a nurse and she worked as a contractor um, with the DOC. And the things that she saw while she was employed at one of the New York State facilities was horrendous. She 
could not believe that the Department of Corrections was hiring people without a degree, um, people who have just basically taken a veterinarian course that was good enough for the Department of Corrections to hire them as an official doctor for the for the for, for the what? Uh, yes he he and wasn't that's even and, and yeah and apparently uh, and this this goes on in a lot of facilities I don't know if there are any prerequisites to become a doctor to Wait, be a counselor on. to Wait, any of that stuff I'm confused Charlie okay now this is legal I need to ask you I mean you a vet can work on a on a, on a person. I haven't heard that from no, him. and he wasn't even a vet. He just took a course as as a vet. He only took one course. It's about that, but what I was going to say, my one of my wife's cousins is a is a correctional officer. I mean, he shouldn't be there. <laughs> so why do you say that? Why do you say that? Yes. Why do you say she shouldn't be there? It's a him. Yes. It's a him. Oh, him. He has a high school education. And I'm not putting down people with high school. That's not that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that for certain jobs in society, any kind of job, you need certain training so that you can do the job the right way. So that's all I'm saying. I'm not putting down anyone who's got a high school education. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying oh. that should not be a correctional officer. I agree. I don't think that there is enough training. I think that they train them to be uh, psychologically fit to deal with um, incarcerated individuals or the environment that they're going to be in. Um, but you know what? Unfortunately, what ends up happening is you have senior officers that are taking, that are taking, that are taking the new officers and training them the way they want things to go which is wrong they never you know it's usually not the way that it's supposed to be then you have these a-hole officers you know uh being taught by these other a-hole officers and it's just a vicious cycle you know and they're just making up the rules as they go along which is sad it's just well Freda, do you hear us shake your head if you hear us no <laughs> Oh my God. So, um, KP Two Rights, give me some thoughts. You are always so quiet. Not today, because you wrote an amazing article. Give me your thoughts about mental health, what we're talking about, all of these. Because I know it's different for you, because one, she, our sister's in Atlanta. So she's, you know, one of our hosts in Atlanta. But your father also is in the Florida prison system, like, and he's in Florida. So some of the things that we're talking about with Sing Sing, do you see that going on in Florida or? Oh, yeah, know? most definitely. And like, um, I love when you said that not just the inmate, but not just the incarcerated individual <laughs> needs the um, counseling, but also the guards. Because I can imagine even as a woman, even as a black woman, hearing another person screaming help, that would trigger me. So I'm, I'm just hoping that they all get some type of counseling. And as an educator, I will say this, we go through a whole lot of training to work with individuals with little minds. And it's not just something that you could just go to school for four years, it's, it's recurring. You get trained over and over and over. And when it comes to these correctional officers, it's one thing to say, oh, 
you know how we normally say um one bad apple because um can't oh, oh, oh. Bunch or can spoil a bunch like this is one situation where we have a lot of bad apples so we need to start chopping down the tree and figuring <laughs> out like what's really going on what's the policies is there a handbook and what's going to happen in the future because i i i strongly believe like mr chuck norris is saying that <laughs> you have to it's the same thing. I, I said the same thing. Chuck is also a variation of Charlie and Charles. Yes, yes I know, but it's Charlie. <laughs> Charlie no, I'm sorry. Well, I, <laughs> I know me. But like you were saying earlier, that I don't disagree with anything that any of y'all are saying, but what I don't hear you saying is holding the men who are inside accountable for their own actions and what they do every day. Okay. Oh. Okay. Because to me, what was the most important things that got me out of prison was I decided to leave gang life alone. I decided that I wanted to make a constant change and realize that I have to hold myself accountable to my own actions, as well as making sure my family had an equal say in everything that I was doing. So if we're going to talk about both sides of the correctional spectrum, whether it be prisoner and whether it be administration, I think there's really nobody addressing the part that there has to be an onus on the prisoners, as well as the onus on the administration for the quality of service that's provided for everybody in the facility. That's true, that's true. Each one has to be accountable because if you're going into prison with the mindset that you're going to belong to the same gang that you did, or you're gonna do all of that in prison, you're gonna keep getting time, you're not gonna be rehabilitated, you're gonna fall into the cycle of drugs, um, violence, um, and you're not spending your time wisely rehabilitating yourself. Um, so I get what you're saying. People that want to come home, they have to separate themselves from that and kind of stay out of that, you know? Um, so yeah, they do have to take accountability as well. It's, it, it goes both ways. And, I, and I'm yeah. not saying that they shouldn't be held accountable. I definitely agree that correctional officers should be held accountable. It, um, it, it, Incarcerated individuals should be held accountable as well. However, when you sign up for the career as a correctional officer, you need to go with the code of the ethics. And if you're not going to do that, then there needs to be some type of consequence. Turn your badge in, okay? Just, just like with the same with the police officers, if you are going to go in there and think, oh, I am big man on campus, I'm going to... No, you're supposed to be able to help police help them, you know, get from point A to point B, help them get to their programs, help them get to their sick calls, not, not, not bully them, not, um, uh, you know, not bully, not take their property away, not stop different, I mean, if you got cookies, it's cookies. I mean, damn it, is it hard that it's a cookie? Like, let them have the cookies. It's just some of the things that they do are overboard. And I believe, and I believe you should have accountability for what you're doing. But I'm just saying, sometimes these individuals, like I said, the mental state on both parts, not just the uh, um, incarcerated individuals, but the officers need a mental thing as well. Because I understand that the police training, they have like some type of psychological evaluation. Do COs get that too before they go in? Because a lot of them, you're looking at them like, what is who hired you? 
what is the problem? Well, Fredo, what do you think? Have you? I know you have encountered some CEOs that you was like, why is they here today? Like, damn it, my day would have been okay, but they just come in just to, oh, you can't have a shower. Just because they say that you can't have a shower, that's a human thing you need. Well, I feel, I feel like this, right, is that I've been around enough critical thinkers that you're able to outmaneuver these type of, of, I hate to say it, but these kind of these type of correctional clowns that you have to deal with on this particular scale because everybody has people that they don't get along with in the workplace. Everybody has people that they don't get along on their commute to work. So I understand from the human component of my degree that there's gonna be instances where everybody's not gonna get along and it's just somebody that's gonna say, just because everybody thinks you're cool, I'm going to be the eyeball and I'm going to think you're not that cool and you're not going to get what you need. But at the same time, you have to have the prowess in your mind to be able to navigate through these landmines and be able to say, you know what, no matter what's going to happen, I have to go ahead and take the power away from the officer and I have to say that I'm not going to let them control the normal basic things that I need. If that comes with making sure you have a program to maintain yourself financially so you don't have to go to the mess hall, making sure that you have other things like higher education and programming to deal with so you don't have to go to the prison yards. Then what happens is when they take, you take the power away from them, you're able to now develop a routine where you have as minimal contact as possible dealing with the law, the law enforcement inside the correctional facility, and you're able to now to open up the lanes to have other things happen. So I agree with all of y'all. There were, there were clowns on every side, mental health, I believe everywhere, the system needs to be revamped. But at the same time, there's no matter how much good the programming is or how much the facilities are, if the men aren't willing to buy into their own rehabilitative process, it doesn't matter how much good so Oh, that, damn it, that was getting good too. Yes, like, oh, he's back, he's back, he's back. He's back, you know. No, but he's he right. There are so, look, there are so many programs available to, for the um, men and women to improve themselves. Um, one of my countrymen, Boo Banton, he was in a prison in the U.S. He got two college degrees while he was, <laughs> while he was here. Um, there's so many opportunities that we don't even have on the outside. Like, you know, we paying off student loans. If I was in prison, I would get a college I PhD by now. Right. You know, PhD. So, many, so many, you know, while you're there, take advantage of them, you know? But you know what, too? And that's another thing. And he, and I hear Wilfredo, and I, and I believe he's African. I think he just came off, but. Also, it's a, it's, I think it's like a waiting list for them to even get into it. So if they're willing and they and, and, um, um, willing to do the programs, give them enough, enough people to get in there. It shouldn't be uh, only 30 people at a time if you got 1,800 prisoners. That, I mean, excuse me, incarcerated individuals. It shouldn't be 30 people to one program and then that program is three months. Do you know how long? They have to wait to get into a program if it's that much of a waiting list. Like I don't understand. Yeah, that. Like if if you watch Jermaine's um time with TEDx, you got yeah. nothing. You they, do, but I'm saying you have time. But 
give them an opportunity to get into, if one program is closed, give them another program. Give them something to rotate their minds to use their time wisely, like he says in their TED Talk. But if they don't have enough programs to house everybody in there to make them um, accountable for their time, to learn a new language, to, to learn how to cook, to learn how to do welding, welding or something, they're going to get bored. And then what you think? You got time on your hand and it's the dominoes, it's the outside, it's the game banging. So they need to make more stuff for them to do in the education program so they can get into the, we can get more of them into the program so they can do stuff instead of just sitting around waiting in the program. But and then if they get in trouble, they can't get in the program anyway. I think now when you talk is, about... Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. When you talk about programming, right? My thing is forget the welding. What they need to do is they need to start doing IT and coding and they need to get rid of a lot of the vocational mandated programming that they have because a lot of guys that are coming home from prison they don't have the skills that are necessary to come out here and be able to be employable. So my thing is, is that in order to talk about that particular system and everybody want to be on these waiting lists for these programs, there's only 10% of the entire population that's only a part of the college program. There's only about 15 to 20% that want to be in Osmo programs or in Council for Unity. So my thing is I have been an integral role in these programmers for over the nine years I've been in Sing Sing. These particular waiting lists, I understand what you're saying, they're lengthy, but if the person wants to be able to program, there are nine, 10, or 13 programs they can take in their place in order for them to do it. It's just for them having the initiative and the wherewithal to want to succeed and complete these programs. So I understand the frustration that's coming from the families, but at times, the men only want to select an amount of programs as possible, and they need to go ahead and broaden their horizon and start thinking outside of the box. Maybe get a new language. Maybe start doing HIV awareness so they can get some redeemable skills. Mm -hmm. That's excellent to say that too. But then too, the next piece of this puzzle is us as a society out here need to give them a chance. If I don't want to hear, oh, they in cost, oh, they just came home all day. I don't want to, a lot of places are like that. And that's why I believe that a lot of other us as a community need to embrace them when they do come home. And if they haven't, and I'm not saying, they're like, oh, would you have him around your kid? Or like, No, we, we can't do that. Because if we don't give them a chance when they do come home with these skills and their degrees, they're going to go right back because they're they not going to be able to land a job. And, yes, and, and I hear you, Wilfredo, coding and all that is good, but that's in the business man. And you already know, we got to break that barrier so they can let you in there to use the skill that you just learned. But I'm doing that right now. I'm doing that right now with my. But so I, you, I didn't hear you say it again. Now he said. I keep it real with y'all. I keep it real with y'all. Yo, having 25 days out, it's not an easy thing having a college degree and being able to have to take baby steps now to come out because people don't think you're employable. These people actually think when you go to these anger management and substance abuses classes, like I'm an addict or I actually need these services. I'm a Mercy College graduate. I mean, I can probably do your job better and for less pay. But my thing is, is that I have to understand.
You got so much to say. He keep cutting off. It's pissing me off. I want to hear him. <laughs> oh, my God. I have to humble myself that this is a process and people have to know my body of work and they have to see that I'm able to be acclimated into society. So I have to take a big breath. I ran a, I ran a non-for-profit organization for nine years in, 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 in Sing Sing. I mean, the administration will always turn to us when they wanted everything. So to me, I just have to take a deep breath and realize it's a process. But as long as I succeed and make it easier for the men that are coming behind me, then... He cut off again. Oh. We got to get him back on and get him situated. Yes, because where... we got to get him back on, on a, like, because he keeps going out. If no, I apologize for that. Oh no, stick with no, that's it. Okay. There, there are gentlemen who have been released from prison that did form not-for-profits to help other gentlemen that came back into the in society to make it. And they're very successful. Stick with it. And I mean- and I know you're gonna be great. It's just that I just know that, are they gonna give you like, like even with a mentoring program where Alfredo is out, he has his mercy degree college. He could go back in there and talk to them and be like, look, y'all need to do this to get out and, and, and do this. Like, you see me? You can do it too. Like, they need to see a real success story, not somebody from 20 years back. They need to see, he just he was just instinct. So if he could go back and speak to them, you know, with a nonprofit status and go back and be like, look, I'm running this program to let y'all know how it is to bridge the gap to come back. Because they've been in there, for, it's a big big difference from 10 years ago to now. So he can bridge oh, the gap. Of course, absolutely. He, I didn't hear what he said. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I agree with you a million percent. But my thing is, is by, by me having the example and doing things like this, or reaching back out to the comrades that's in there to let them know that I'm out here doing what I have to do, it gives hope to everybody. It's because someone made it easier for me where I'm at. And I'm going to make it way easier for a whole bunch of people when it's their time to go. I mean, my name is very distinct. My name is Wilfredo Laviquente. There's no, there's only 11 me in the world. So my thing is. That's a good, that's a good way to think about it. I love that. Yes, I like that. She's stabbing it up. But so, that's really, that's really good. But you got to come back because I can't hear anything you're saying and it's killing me. It keeps, I apologize. Like, that's okay. <laughs> like, I want to hear him. I mean, ah. this new technology, this new technology is something real different. You know, I find, I find all your support. Oh, no bueno. No, 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 but it's all in the support system when they come home. Yeah. I men that have come home and uh you know they're all very successful they have big houses they have wives they have jobs they just want to live life and never go back to prison it's who you associate yourself with like-minded people when right. you get you know you know you know what i think i think that there are way more success stories out here that the news that the media does not shed a uh, light on. Of course they're and not. they all they want to do is focus on they want to focus on the negative 
you know, one person comes, you know, and and uh, and does something after he was released, and and now everyone's got to pay for it. And I think that there should be something, and and this is something that I've been uh, talking with uh, my rap uh, team members and uh, people's campaign uh, for parole justice. I think that we need to utilize our media contacts and somehow, some way, maybe have a story about uh, uh, someone who came home and, and uh, uh, tell their story of how long they've been in and look, they came out and what, what they've been doing to succeed out here because there are more people that are doing amazing things that were formerly incarcerated than there are people who will be sent. And I think that that is amazing in itself because we were talking about the mental challenges of being incarcerated. But what about those individuals who have no real support system out here, who don't have families? You know, they have to find a way to remain strong and to keep busy. And like what Fredo was saying, you know, you have to want to rehabilitate yourself because they're not going to take you by the hand and lead you to a program. You're going to, you want to, want to help yourself and you want to, uh, want to get better, you know, and um, that in itself um, is difficult if you're not motivated, you know, and so um, I applaud you, I applaud you, Pun, like, seriously, you got yourself out of it, you know, I'm sure that that was not something easy, because once you are part of a gang, you know, they find it insulting to leave, and I'm sure that you probably cleaned it up a lot and you've been through hell and back, but look at where you are now. You're here talking to us in a free world and paving the way for those that um, are still incarcerated. And um, I gotta tell you, man, I, I'm sending you a big hug, bro, because you're amazing. Seriously, yeah, seriously but amazing. I wanna, I wanna say something to all the women, especially because all of y'all are holding down a lot of people in prison and I want I want y'all to understand something. When it get hard and, and and it really the rubber really meets the road, I mean a lot of times y'all unconditional love and even coming on a visit in the packages or if y'all participate on the family reunion program, that's an extra backbone. See I get I well Fredo you coming back on next month because you got a lot of stuff and we we keep this that's a that's that's an extra backbone that we don't always big up when we should and i want y'all to know that i worked with a lot of the men that the women are representing right now and it's cold and they are doing their thing and i have been a mentor to a lot of them just by my example from the nefarious side of the spectrum where i came and to the level of positivity that i reached Good is just a stepping stone to being great. And I'm telling you, I have a whole. This going. Oh, I want to hear him. <laughs> well, I appreciate him bigging me up because this shit is I not easy. Because this but is, this life this is, is not, not easy, easy, girl. It this is not is easy. Not, this and women Pam, Pam you've only been doing this. it.
Nothing when I tell you that I get, I'm, I, I, yes, You yes, get yes, weary, yes, you do, but you know what? Some of them do appreciate you, but I want to let you guys know, as a, if you a mom, you, anybody that you represent and you try to hold them down in prison, all of us deserve an applause because we're doing this time with them. That's why my first book was called Family Time, Don't Get Caught Up, because when you go, when you are dealing with the family member that is prison, we all are doing the time with you. We are not behind the wall with you, but damn it, we doing it with you, because we coming to your oh, birthday, we coming to I Christmas, we coming to Thanksgiving, we giving y'all packages, a- we crying, we, we taking the phone Yo. calls, the kids getting on your nerves, you're like, look! <laughs> Oh, you don't hard. even have you don't even have time really for a social life because you, you know, right? hey, you know I just want y'all to know we all, special, we, we all special when it comes to dealing with all this together. But what I'm saying is is that when it really gets tough, I want y'all to know. And the brothers may not tell y'all, but I'm telling you because I'm a, I'm, in, I'm in different circles when we around you know communities. Yo, they love y'all and they really appreciate what y'all do for them. <laughs> Well, I thank you for that because sometimes we feel like they don't care and they want, they just want a package. You ain't bring the package. You ain't like, dude, what? <laughs> like, did I just tell you they took, it took me a whole half hour to get in here? So I thank you and, 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 and I'm going to be a little bit more easier on spank, okay? <laughs> but guys, this has been a tremendously great show. Wilfredo, we need you back. Charlie Norris, thank you for coming. My girl KP2 writes, my host, my also my other girl, Indira. She is the social media director, Jeannie, our activist. And of course, Mr. Charlie Norris is our human interest story. He's going to always be back with great stories. Well, Fredo, we love you and we thank you guys. This has been a tremendously great show. I want to wrap up with everybody saying one thing until the next time we meet in September. Um, Jeannie, what you got to say before we go? Oh my God, what do I have to say? I have a lot to say. Uh, We all have to get on board and do our part and join these amazing um, advocacy groups and lend our voice because there's still a lot of people behind bars that need to come home and we need to pass a lot of laws. Um, And so I'm gonna keep fighting the good fight until they all come home. Okay, thank you for having me. Don't leave yet. Charlie Norris, can you give us something to... Get through the month with. <laughs> I'm mute yourself. Most of the people on the planet are just really good, hardworking people just trying to make it happen for the families, for themselves. As you said, why don't we hear these stories about the people who are in car, or, you know, who are incarcerated who come out and do good things? Because good news doesn't sell. So um, we just have to keep the faith and keep fighting and just keep believing. That's all. Okay, thank you, Charlie. And Dima, your words of wisdom before we go. Get vaccinated. (laughs) Yo, that's a fact. Get vaccinated. Yes, yes, yes. For everything, because we want to see everybody just get vaccinated because we're one world and there's not going to be if we we have to look out for one another. So. All right, and KP2 writes from Atlanta. What you got to tell us? Uh, nothing much. Uh, I appreciate this connection, this network, and we will do great things in the future and even now, like tomorrow. 
I also want to say happy Father's Day because we wasn't live. Yes. But yes. happy yes. Father's Day to all the fathers on this call and yes. incarcerated. We love y'all. <laughs> Yes. And Will Prado, can you give us some words of wisdom? And I, again, congratulations on all your accomplishments. We are glad to have you in the free world. We love you. We want to know that any kind of support that the Women of the War can help you, the War Magazine, let us know what kind of fight we can do, what kind of stories, whatever we can do, let us know. But give us some wisdom before you leave us right now. He's gonna come back. Give him a few seconds. Okay. Hey, okay. <laughs> Tyler, this is live and it is not scripted. So, hey, if we can't help it. Well, until he, here you go. He coming? Okay. Well, all right. Well, I want to thank Sedora Radio for hosting the Women of the World. Mark Five, our engineer and the owner of the station, we thank you for engineering with us and being a part of the World Magazine. We can snap it up. You guys, I see you guys next month. God bless. Have an amazing, amazing rest of the summer. I'll see you guys in September and thank you for being a part of this platform. Mark, you can put the music on now. Can you put it on? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, we still we still recording, Mark.